Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What's up? Welcome to Kicks. Today we have one of the best guys to ever come from LSU, the Denver Nuggets, Sacramento Kings, Memphis Grizzlies, social activists. You know, he just an uh, inspiration to us all. What's up, Maoud? How you doing? Man, I won't complain, man. How about yourself? I appreciate that. Um, I'm all right. You know, can't complain. You know, there's a lot going on in the world, you know, us as black men that we got to go through. But other than that, you know, surviving. That's right. All right. So um, can you tell me about the new doc on um, Showtime? Yeah, well, um, it was a it was a lengthy process, man. We did a lot of interviews. Um, I can't begin to name all the people uh that you know there's a lot of people involved with the process um you know i thought i thought that jocelyn rose did an excellent job of capturing a lot of what i was saying and providing uh you know images associated with it showtime uh was very supportive of the whole process um yeah and i'm just trying to tell my story in length uh with the rawness and being unflinching about it and just hope that it could um, you know, benefit people uh, when it's all said and done. Because we all have stories and all of our stories are impactful in their own way. And we all, because we're human beings, we share a similar, if not some of the same thing, right? We hurt, we laugh, we cry, right? We get angry. And um, I'm just trying to share mine. All right, man. So what kind of like inspired you to like produce the documentary? And also, you know, what kind of inspired you to... um write the book that you published um, a couple weeks ago. I mean, not a couple weeks, but, you know, a couple months ago. Well, um, you know, there's a few things. Um, you said earlier that there's so much always going on in this world, right? And, and for me, it's unacceptable uh, to be silent about it. You know, we, I think we have a huge responsibility uh, to articulate you know, I'm surprised you haven't, you know, done this documentary earlier, you know, and uh, I think the world, especially um, the establishment, they needed to hear, you know, your story and, you know, and what's going on in our communities. Yeah, I'm humbled by that. Um, you know, for, the, for, for a long time, I felt I had something to say, but there's a saying that God plans and man plans and verily God is the best of planners. And so, you know, I'm older now. Uh, I've read more. I've had more conversations with people throughout the world. Uh, I've seen and experienced more. So, and then with all of the shifts that are taking place with professional athletes now, right? Speaking out um, about what they believe in and, and owning it. I just felt this was, uh, there was no, no time. This was a better time than any, right? To come out with this, this documentary. And so I'm just grateful that, you know, I met some people that were able to have the right connections and then Showtime uh, believed in it and, and we were able to put it together. But you're right. There's just so much happening, man, in the world. And I just want to, as much as possible, do my part and be a vessel uh, to get it out because um, we all have a responsibility. And, 
And so I'm just trying to do my part. You know, people like yourself and um, Colin Kaepernick, you basically gave up your careers, you know, for the greater good, you know, yes, stuff sir. that you believed in. Um, now, for the most part, you know, um, you can, like, if you're a Muslim, like, I remember a few years ago, I seen in his cancer, you know, pray during the right. uh, national anthem. Mm -hmm. I'm, not sure if, I'm not sure if I'm missing anybody else, but if I am, um, I apologize. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what type of criticism did you receive, you know, back in the day when you initially had did it? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, whatever you saw Kaepernick go through um, is, is, is reminiscent of what I went through. And in terms of, you know, the media uh, came out full blown attack, um, oftentimes not listening to the whole message, um, taking it out of context, which as far as I'm concerned was, was unethical. And, and and just academically irresponsible, you know. Uh, but uh, then you have uh, people that, you know, they're easily influenced by what they see the media doing. So of course they're going to have those sound bites. Um, I had death threats. Um, uh, you know, uh, I had hate mail, but but also equally so, I had a lot of people in support of it. You know, I had bags of mail that from all walks of life, man, atheists, Christians, Jews, uh, agnostics, uh, people that practice Taoism, I mean, you name it, man, white, black, women, men, uh, expressing like, man, look, we, we, we're for you, we agree with you. But of course the media, it was unlike now where you have social media, they can control the narrative more. They didn't have to highlight those things and it's harder to do now. But mm -hmm. that was some of the, some of what I, what I experienced, man. And then, on top of that, you experience your career, right, uh, dissipating because there are relationships. Let's face it, in everything we do, there are relationships and there's friendships. And so I started to see my minutes decline. I started to see where reporters, I was kind of off limits. Not many reporters came and asked me about not playing. And before that, they would if I didn't play. Like, hey, why are you not playing? Right, because, again, I started off the year, you know, amazing. Uh, and so then they came out with this uh, – this 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 uh, free throw shooting, you know, special top free throw shooters in the league. They didn't show me, and I'm I'm in the top. So I started to say, okay, I see the writing on the wall, right? Let's let's present this. Let's let's not. It's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Let's mm -hmm. not show him, and let's put him in and out the game, trying to mess up his rhythm. Don't interview him as much, uh, and then it's easy for us to say, ah, we don't. We don't know if he has it anymore. He can't play anymore. Let's frustrate him to the point he'll mess up and do something crazy so we can justify not getting, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, destroying his career. So that, that's what I experienced, man. And so many people experience it. The Kaepernicks, the Muhammad Ali's, the Tommy Lee's, the, the John Carlos's. And it's more so a message, yes, to us as individuals, but the overarching message is to everybody else who's looking in, like, if you do this, this is the same thing going to happen to you. So it's intimidation tactic, and it's striking fear in other people not to take that same position. You know, at what point in your life did you, like, convert to being a, a Muslim? Was it, you know, like, during your playing career, or, like, did the seed kind of get planted in you kind of, like, early in life, and then you kind of accepted it, you know, at the stage of life when you did? 
Well, the seed was planted early. And actually, as I started going over the details of the book, uh, I think it was seriously earlier. Like, I remember, you know, looking at people like uh, Muhammad Ali and fascinated, you know, with his character and what he was doing. I didn't know about Islam, but, you know, I heard about it. I remember as a child seeing images of, you know, a Muslim family walking up and down my stairs and I would be doing something. All of a sudden I look and it's for some reason that attracted me. Didn't know why. I remember watching Roots and seeing Kuta Kinte, right, uh, making Salah and then saying Salaam Alaikum. And, you know, so I think there was little seeds being planted, but the biggest seed was planted when I was at LSU and when Dale Brown gave me the autobiography of Malcolm X and I began to read about his life. And and then going to Denver is when, yes. So to answer your question about the, the, the reversion to Islam, that happened as a result of those seeds being planted. Now I get to Denver, meet a brother. We have a conversation. I pick up the Quran two, two three pages later. I knew that this was for me and it's been for me ever since. And so I'm going to die with it. But I, I accepted it after my first year in the NBA uh, that summer. I think around August, I embraced Islam. You know, when um, Kareem and like Muhammad Ali changed their names respectively, you know, they were met with criticism from like the public, mm -hmm. their family. Um, did you go mm -hmm. through anything similar, like on the family side of things? Because I know like once you change, once you change your name, you know, like people like really take that to heart. Yeah, they, they take it way too serious. But but I understand it because it's you know, it's it's different. It's it's out of the norm, right? And uh, but yeah, I, I experienced man uh, some resistance, not just from family, uh, from friends or so-called friends, uh, questioning why, you know, thinking you're crazy, what's wrong with you, uh, but also making the connection between because they they're aware somewhat of history, right? Like, hey man, you man, you sure you won't do this, man? That's gonna that might mess you up, right? So, uh, yeah, I got it. But those things didn't bother me, uh, my good brother, because I made up my mind at that time that, listen, this is what I'm going to do. And, and usually, man, by and large, not usually, when I make up my mind, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm not running away from it. And so I decided that, look, this is what I'm going to do. Nobody's going to convince me outside of it. This is, I've never felt like this in my life. Um, where I could pick up something and I felt that 100%, like no hesitation, that this was it. I mean, for sure. And there was a feeling that I've never felt before. And, I've, and, I, and that feeling is yet to leave me to this day. You know, how soon after you converted to Islam did you actually go through the whole name change process? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, man. Um, when I reverted to Islam, uh, I think the year, the, the next year, I heard the imam say, you got to go to Hajj. So I think it was my third year, my second or third year being a Muslim, uh, because I, I delayed it because it was my first time flying out the country to Hajj. And I was like, I didn't want to have paper, like starting the process. I didn't know all the dynamics, right? But I don't want to fill out for it. And then I go to Hodge. And, you know, it's too close to that time. So I went to Hodge under Chris Jackson. But when I came back, 
I changed my name. So whenever I went to Hodge that that summer, when I got back, is when I went to the to the courthouse and uh, put in for my name change. So I'm thinking it was around two, two, three years of being a Muslim. Yeah. You know how was how was that trip to um, Hodge? You know, because I like I've seen like um, Malcolm X the movie, and and mm-hmm. uh, I've seen his journey. Well, I. It's um, it's not fictional, but you know, it's kind of Hollywood up a little bit. But I got the general idea of you know, you know what his journey was like once he got there. And I've also heard stories from like um, like friends and stuff once once they went over. Um, mm-hmm. What's your experience like over there? Well, you know what, man, I I went with some brothers that I knew. Um, my, you know, of course, I I, I went and I was man, I was just green but my eyes were wide open in terms of just wanting to absorb everything I could. And uh, it was a great experience for me uh, to be in the land of, of the prophet Salam and uh, you know, uh, the, the steps that he went through as well as understanding, you know, what Ibrahim, prophet Ibrahim and Ishaq, his son, Isaac went through, uh, you know, the Ethiopian, their mother, Isaac's mother, who was an Ethiopian uh, African woman, Hajar, in the Bible they call her Hagar, right? And and having her represented there, and, and just uh, trying to get closer to Allah, man. But but also you understand soon, quick that just because it's a religious place, you know, and and it's a holy place that we go to, and we're obligated to go to in the hopes of get you know purifying our souls and getting closer to Allah, you know. Listen, and if we're going to be honest, and, and I'm all about honesty, that you still have to contend in those places that not everybody come with the same intention, right? You're going to experience people with bad intentions, with racism, who have anger issues, right? And you have to literally block that out because it's not about them. And I had to learn that before going. They said any anything, no matter how small, that disrupts your, that angers you or whatever, could could violate your hide. So man, I was just like, I was in a zone. I ain't want nothing. I ain't want to get mad. I ain't want to get no argument. I was just, I was just all oh, I was just thinking and trying to think about God, have you know, meaningful conversations. But it was a man, it, it's a it's an experience that we all have to go to and it's well worth it. And it does something to your soul uh going through that. Mm-hmm. All right, so kind of like transitioning to like the politically aware athletes of today, you know, mm-hmm. guys like Jalen Brown, you know, he's he's always on the front line. Mm-hmm. You know, LeBron, you know, the face of the league, he's always on the front lines too of certain things. Um, do you feel that their activism is, you know, is a direct seed of, of you know, guys like yourself and um, like Ali and Jim Brown, Bill Russell? Well, well, you know what, all. Everyone who um, takes positions, I'm going to take it even further back than that. You know, everyone that takes a position or taking these positions off of the shoulders and the backs of first the prophets who preceded us. And if you look at every prophet, even Jesus, peace be upon him, in today's world, Jesus would be considered a domestic terrorist, a domestic uh, extremist. Right, because he says in the Bible at one point, he told his he told his disciples to sell their garments to buy swords. Why is he telling them to buy swords? Because he's speaking truth to power. 
All right. And he, he understood that he was getting ready to engage power physically and militarily because they had overstepped the bounds and became oppressive. Now, was Jesus about love? Of course he was. But he understood that justice is what love looks like in public. <laughs> right. So the prophets historically have set the tone. But then after that, you have people, the saints, and then you have other people, the, you know, in terms of more current, you got the Martin Luther Kings and and you have the Malcolms, but even before that, you had the Denmark Vessies, the Gabriel Prosers, the Nat Turners, right, who took position. So we all are living off of that. It kind of goes to the saying of, there's a saying in chaos, the chaos math or the butterfly effect, right? When a butterfly flaps its wings on one end of the world, it can produce a tsunami on the other. And they said scientifically, this is correct. So we all are living off that, you know, those experiences that are influencing us to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Big facts, man. You know, remember in the bubble, you know, when um I forgot which somebody died. I can't remember the guy's name. But um yeah, the guy that yeah, was killed either. in um, Milwaukee, I can't remember his name to save my life. Right, right. No, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, there was some talk of, you know, players not playing because of, you know, the events of the world. You know, yeah. if you if you were in the bubble in 2020, you know, which side would what side of the debate would you have been on? You know, side of you know, let's let's play these games so we can have a a, 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 um, a champion, or you know, the side where you, where you, um where there's like the events of the world is too much, and you know, all of our attention need to be here. Yeah, you know that that's always a tough question for players. I understand, uh, but you know, when things get to this degree. I'm just a firm believer, man, that that sports is a tool, right? But it's always bigger. You know, it's always bigger than what you're doing. And uh, I look, I'm I've never changed my position, even when I was in the league. So with something like that, man, I'm I'm all for, especially the NBA, right? It's one thing if the NBA is giving adequate attention and that's a hell of a question i'm glad you asked that it's one thing if the nba gives adequate attention to these issues like they are really because most of us most of the players are african-american right and so the fact that if you're not giving i'm not talking about lukewarm attention i'm not talking about you giving it for public consumption you just saying words but because you use us as athletes to endorse causes that are dear to the nba right you want us to go out there and support these causes, give our time, which most likely will bring money to these causes. And so when it's something that's related to us, if you are not spending that same or more energy to support those causes, then we need to hit you in the pocket because that's when people listen in this country. When you hit them where it hurts, in the pocket financially, because there's a lot of times they just, it's, 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 you got put on maestros, right? They just, saying things because it sounds good, right? But the proof is in, okay, follow it up. It's like apologizing, but you affected somebody's life, but you ain't, it's like white people apologizing for slavery, but don't want to give reparation, right? Yeah. So what are you like, what are you actually doing, right? On behalf of all of these things, you have all of these celebrations every year, like sporting uh, leagues, professional sporting leagues every year, they're drowning you with celebrations of police coming into arenas. Let's honor the law enforcement. 
Let's honor the military, right? Take off your hats and silence. We love you for your service. But yet when you see most, most of us are dying from preventable or preventable reasons, killing us because we got cigarettes, killing us because, you know what I mean, for just literally no good reason. And the NBA, you just giving lip service? No, I would be like, no, man, let's stop playing until they can step up to the plate and really you know, bring real attention to this issue. Because institutions like that, that making that type of money, they can say more and do more to put pressure on, on, on these other institutions. So I would have been for the side of luck. Let's stop playing for sure. You know, and I think it was because of that, you know, now that the, now um, the NBA kind of felt pressure to actually like do stuff more than, you know, making like PSA announcements, you know, mm -hmm. like this past November, they had the election day initiative. Mm -hmm. Um like, how would something like this fare back, like, say, 1997? Do you think people would be, like, so opposed to it? Opposed to what now? Opposed to, like, the whole voting initiative? And, like, do you think people would be calling, like, the NBA the woke league like they're starting to do now? I mean, I, I think so. I don't think necessarily that, you know, if the situation was back then and, and they were – I'm not a, you know, man, I'm, I'm really not a big fan of voting. Uh, and I say that because, like, when you look at from the inception of this country to now, you know, these, whether it's Democrat, Republican, right wing, left wing, uh, in the middle, whatever they call themselves, uh, they're all in bed with each other. It's like good police, bad police. And if you look at the history of voting for representatives that's supposed to represent us, they lie to us every year about what they're going to give us. They give us crumbs. And, 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 and we lose our minds. And then every year we find out that they lie to us. They don't never really fulfill what they say they're going to fulfill. And so, you know, even when you look at the inception of this country, you know, they didn't gain control through voting. They gained control, right, through uh, self-determined armed resistance, right? That's this, if we want to be real about it, they revolted, right? And so the system is not going to create a system for you to really win freedom. They're gonna create a system so you to be, in, to, to continue to work within a circle and go in a cycle that you really never really get anywhere. So what have we really gained? Like if you look back in the thirties and forties and fifties, you look at the 2023 right now. If you take the images, if you if you listen to the, the language of what was used and what people were fighting for, if you listen to what we're talking about now, we're talking about the same stuff. If you take the images of black people being killed, if you look at mass incarceration, if you look at health disparities, if you look at all those things, black people suffer more than anybody. So if you and if you take that and you put this in black and white and put that in black and white, you won't know the difference of the times because we're dealing with the same stuff. Right. You know, uh, uh, Kianja Yamada Teller says something very telling, even with inequality. She said the essence of inequality. She said is born out of the fact that we have. 400 billionaires and 45 million people in poverty. She said, this is not a parallel fact. Uh, this is an intersecting fact. She said, we have 400 billionaires because we have 45 million people in poverty. And she said, profit, right? She said, profit comes at the expense of the living wage. So we were dealing with the same stuff. So voting in and of itself 
I think it's just, you, you know what I mean? Me, I'm not a fan of it. I'm a fan for, now when it comes to local issues, when you're talking about national issues, never really so. But if it's talking about something in my community, I think we have a stronger say in affecting that, what's in your community. But in terms of national voting, please somebody show me where it's giving us real gains, where it's, it's affected the, the relationship to power. Because you still have 1%, 2 to 3% controlling most of the wealth. And it's been that way for decades. So how is this? So, but to go back to your question, I think it would be the same. Like if it was now people like, yeah, we in the seventies, we woke now, right? Just like they're doing now. Yeah. But I don't, you know, in some ways, no, we're not woke. Uh, in some ways we are, yeah. You know, you you kind of made a good point about this, about the disparity between the wealthy and, and the poor. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if you ever noticed this. I just caught on to this a few years ago. If you go to like a public school in the hood, it's modeled after a jail. They got the of jail, behind, you know, the um, cafeteria, even even the way like the classrooms are, are set up. And then like, actually, some somebody told me this from from the board of ed, you know, when the kids, when they take like their tests for like third and fourth grade, their um, standardized tests, they base those tests off of like how many prisons they're going to build within the next uh, like 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, like to me, that's, I don't know, that's, that's just crazy. You, you, you're absolutely right. And that's absolutely true. And see, this is what a lot of people aren't talking about. You know, the, 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 the school to prison pipeline, right? Even John Paul Gatto has a book called The Underground History of American Education and how it started. And he said it started from factory schooling, right? To teach people how to work for corporations, right? And, and how in those ages, most people understood it for brainwashing and indoctrination, you know, because education, even in this country, education, higher education, by and large, it's, it's not meant to teach critical thinking and problem solving. It's to how to work for somebody else. But also when you look at it, it leads oftentimes to debt. Because to go to school, man, you got to pay thousands of dollars, right? And you're already in debt before you begin. But also it's a, it, it, it leads towards intellectual subservience because there's a conditioning that takes place. You got people in MIT, like major universities, prestigious universities like the Noam Chomsky's and people like that, who's been teaching for years. And he talks about, you know, the fact that you go to school almost always registers and assume, uh, 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 leads to that you've been socialized, unlike a person who didn't, because you don't, you're not getting this conditioning daily. Like you supplement your material, right? You read other stuff more so than being fed information. Now, this is a person who's well known in the field of academia saying this. This ain't me, just in case somebody's, ah, he's an athlete. He don't know what he's talking about. I'm quoting people who study this stuff for life, right? And it's all across the board, just like you said. So they don't want to, these are conversations that we should be having more of because it's a major problem and it's dangerous. Because at some point, at some point, this is just the nature of history, right? You know, we're taught to uh, not, we're taught to look at our wounds as nothing compared to the debt of America's gratitude to us, right? But the more we go through these things and we're bruised and beaten down, right? Mm -hmm. There comes a time in every epic of history that people 
get to the point, they get fed up. And the only logical outcome is self-determined armed resistance. Study any form of history. And America is showing those signs. People are fed up. And we ain't talking about just black people. Right? On the street, white people are fed up, right? Because they're, they're starting to feel it financially. You know, so it's, 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 I'm glad you're bringing this stuff up, man. It, it needs to be talked about more. You know, and another thing that I think needs to be talked about is black people and um and owning guns. Cause you know, yep. I don't know. That's that's just my personal belief. I think like not enough, you know, black people like they're not properly trained or you know have the knowledge. They just wanna, you know, buy a gun from the neighborhood trap dealer just for the hell of it. But that's yeah. not what I'm talking about. I mean, like actually train and actually know when to use it and when not to use it stuff like that I, I think once more once more you know african americans you know get that training i think that's when a lot of you know brutality will stop look man we, there, there's a book called uh, I, I, um, uh we shoot back it's about the mississippi civil rights movement and it's about when you look at groups like sncc when you look at all of these civil rights movements man that that were there um, they wouldn't have been able to survive without certain blacks taking the initiative to say, look, okay, you come up in here and you fire off some shots and you hurt ours, we're going to fire off some shots and retaliate on you and take you out. And it prevented a lot of, of unnecessary retaliation. And this is a part of the game. You know what I mean? They want to tell you to be so passive, right? That you give up your freedoms, that you give up, you know, your dignity to defend yourself. And instead, rely on the police. You know, don't, no, 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 no. If somebody got guns to defend themselves, I want them to defend myself, period. This is why the United States don't mess with certain countries. They don't, you don't see them barking down North Korea's door because North Korea say, hey, man, okay, we'll press that button. No problem. What you want? America only messes with people that aren't able to really defend themselves. This is how they operate. And this culture would do the same. So I, I'm with you. You know, if you got guns and you're allowing these guns on the street and people can, you know, people are walking in the post offices, man. People are just killing folks. Mm -hmm. Right? No, 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 no. I need some means to protect myself. I'm not like you. If that's what you do. But I at least want something on my hip where if you act stupid, I got hopefully a chance to pull it and to protect myself and my family before you do something stupid. I think that's logical. And to teach people otherwise is stupidity. It's like going into the forest, right? And you got people saying, no, 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 don't bring any guns. If a bear, if you see a bear, just stay still, ball up, curl up in a ball. Man, you must be stupid, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, you're talking about a bear. <laughs> you got to have some means of defense. You ain't going out to look to kill a bear. But if I'm walking in an area and I know a bear can get me, I at least want a weapon. I'm going to first try to shoot and scare you. But if you leave me no choice, I got to defend myself. Period. Man, I wouldn't even go near them. They tell me a bear is to the left, I'm going to the right. <laughs> look, most most black people are not going to go in that city. <laughs> 
You're going to be catching me in the forest, to be honest with you. If I don't see concrete, I, I'm not going. Yeah, mo- most of us not going to do that. And I mean, I don't mean to make it no black. I'm just, but my experience talking to most black people, 90% said, man, I ain't trying to go up in there. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Hmm. Hey, Max, man, before we go, you know, I want to talk some hoop with you. Um, We've been talking about standing up for your beliefs, you know, this this whole podcast. And when you talk about that, you can't leave out a guy like Kyrie Irving, no matter how controversial he is, you know, yeah. no matter what the problem is, whether it's COVID or the other things that got him in trouble earlier this season. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, he's misunderstood, but a guy like him, he'll stand up for his rights to the death. And for that, mm-hmm. I kind of respect him a little bit. Yeah, uh, I talked to Kyrie some time ago about Iowa, man. I was impressed by, not that I was surprised, because many athletes that I talked to are very intelligent. Uh, uh, they're just not probably engaged enough. But And there's a stereotype that, that's associated. But he, uh, very intelligent, uh, articulate. Uh, seem, he's, he's evolving, man. He, he's, he's intent on reading and learning and also challenging not just himself, but challenging the world around him by posting things and presenting ideas, because this is one of the ways you, you're able to, um, to know, like, and get a strong grasp of, of, of what people think, right? And you go back to the drawing board and you say, okay, let me brush up on this idea or this concept. Uh, oh man, oh yeah, I'm solid on this one. This is how you grow. And I think definitely he's getting a raw deal. I think he was the enemy that people had to neutralize as a message to other black folks that don't do this. Uh, there was nothing about what he said uh, was anti-Semitic, but they wanted to make it, they weaponized his term anti-Semitism. They, they wanted to make it that. He said, how can I be anti-Semitic when I'm a Semite myself? Right, and he was just posting something. Like, look, what do you think about this? He has a right to. And if you have a problem with it, discuss it. Don't try to use intimidation tactics, right? To, to, to cast fear in him and others and to destroy his career as, look, man, this is what the world, you know, there's a freedom of information, right? Uh, so-called, you go to you go to schools, you go to schools, this is what schools should teach you, right? To present your ideas, whether people like it or not, and see, right? To have these dialogues and debates, right? And you got people say, hey, if one thing is in this video, then it all should be trash. That's, that's academically and intellectually irresponsible. No, you don't throw away the baby with the dirty bath water. No, if there's something you don't like, discuss it. Okay, well, how did you come up with that idea? Where did you get it from, right? What are the pros? What are the cons? You know, and so, but they just, but this is the thing, they want to silence you. And then they, this man is so philanthropic. He's given, but they don't want to talk about that, right? Because it's easy to cast him as a troublemaker when you don't know all of these things about what he's done to to offset the the, the income of the WNBA, to the thousands of burgers he gave to food banks and, and masks. You know what I mean? The paying for nine HBCU uh, 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 students, you know, to take it, uh, buying a house for uh, a George Floyd's uh, family. You know what I mean? And and the countless things he's doing. So, yeah, I think he's definitely getting a raw deal, man. Look, nobody's perfect. And even in his pursuit, there's going to be missteps. Sometimes you're going to say things that don't make sense to people or it may be wrong. And I'm not saying that's the case with him. But, you know, we don't want to give people grace like that. Right. And, and, and it could be partially, too, man, because he identified two of being as being a Muslim. And they had examples. I've seen how a Muslim can be. 
<laughs> right? And we don't want that to happen again. And so you just never know, man. You never know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny that you say that. I know he's a free agent at the end of the um, season. And, like, I'm not going to pretend that I know what's going on in his head or his future plans because I don't know. But I can mm-hmm. possibly see, like, where he could just, you know what, because basketball is not important to him, you know. I mean, it's important to him, but it's not the end-all, be-all right. thing. But um, I can see yeah. a situation where he just, you know, leave basketball alone and, you know, just kind of go another way in life. Yeah, well, well, he said that in our conversation. He said in so many words, and if he wants to, he can, he can, he can reiterate it. But he said, my mood, he said, man, my legacy with basketball is already established. It's going to be what it's going to be. He said, man, I'm, he said, my attention right now, man, I'm trying to see how many people I can benefit before I get out of here. This is the Kyrie that I talked to. And so, you know, you know what I mean? But it's easy for them to focus on, well, man, he keeps changing it. He got a right to change his mind. You know how many, man, you know how many, uh, you know how many times the NBA changed their mind and how they get over on people, right? And they destroy careers. Man, this man, this man is owning who he is. He's got a right. He doesn't have to stay where he don't feel he's wanted. Even if he feel he's wanted, he's got a right to change his mind and explore and to go other places if he want to. You know, that's his choice. You know, now granted, you know, but I think a lot of his decisions is probably, and I don't know the details, but I think a lot of his decisions is probably coming from things that he just don't feel is just within organizations. They're not treating him well. It's something based upon my conversations with him just being, it seems, more centered around justice and doing right and being a benefit and not being associated with things, you know, that are unjust. We don't know the inner dimensions of what's going on in those 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 leagues, right? And so, so I'm thinking, me personally, I'm going to give him in this context because I've had a conversation with him. I've seen all this other stuff he's doing. And I understand when there's an evolution process, you know, sometimes how that works. I'm giving him great, you know, kind of in the interim, you know, because like, how do you see him helping Dallas? Like, and how do you feel about the trade from Brooklyn to Dallas? Hey, man, if it works, uh, I think I think uh, Kyrie is a phenomenal player. And, you know, uh, I think he's going to add to it. Uh, I uh, I think their style of play uh, fits him. and it's, it's a good start for him. So I'm hoping that it works out for him. I'm rooting for him, for sure. But with Ben Simmons in tow, like, do you think Brooklyn can still contend with um, Ben Simmons and KD? No, no, not, not, no, not with Ben Simmons. I, I really don't think that. Uh, he hasn't, as far as I know, he hasn't shown anything since, since uh, I'm, you know, and it's not personal, man. I'm just not, I'm not a fan of his play. Uh, even when he was at LSU and when he he was with Philly, I think he's been protected. You know, I think there's been a lot of l- lofty language surrounding him as a player. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I think he he can, you know, if he just buckle down and you know become more aggressive and, and work on aspects of his game. Uh, but I'm just being, uh, you know, I, in saying that it doesn't mean I'm not rooting for him. But I'm just giving my personal analysis, right? I just yeah, I, I don't think they can with him. No, no, I know. I don't think they will with him, but I believe they can with him if he works on, you know, 
getting that that mental toughness together and, and working on his game. I think they can, but I don't necessarily think they will. Mm-hmm. I um the last question is um I want to get your comments on the Kings. You know they're making a playoff push for the first time since 2006 when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. You no. Know, I'm 36 now, so it's been that long. <laughs> um, um, can you like attest to the job Mike Brown has done with that team so far? You know what? I haven't been watching him, so I, I, that's one I can't give you because uh, I don't really watch it like that. Mike Brown, I think he was a, a, a statistician when I was in Denver, and I know he ended up going to different teams, man, and doing an excellent job. And as you're telling me now, he's doing an excellent job now, so – uh, I'm rooting for him, but I don't know much about uh, Sacramento and what they're doing. All right, Maud, um, I want to thank you for joining me today. You know, I think a lot of people can learn from the story, um, not just people that's around today, but in future generations. Um, mm-hmm. What do you want young people to, to take from your story and apply it to their own life? You know, the simple answer to that question, man, is whatever they feel they need. Right, because we all have experiences, and there's certain parts of the story that may resonate with one, that may not resonate with the other, and 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 I'm hoping that this story will cause them to reflect more on their life, to ask more questions, um, and it makes them think. Uh, and I think if if we pull that off, we've done a great job. Okay. All right, Maud, um, thank you again, man. Like, you're a real inspiration to me. You know, I've been trying to hunt you down for like a couple of years now, so I'm, I'm glad I finally got you. Man, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the questions and, and continue to be blessed. All right, thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, now.